the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. So glad to see all of you here today. I'm glad to be seen by those watching online. Welcome to you as well. Uh, just really great to be with you at Church of Our Savior this morning. I wonder if you have seen the zany whodunit movie from a couple of years ago called Knives Out. Somebody seen Knives Out? A few folks, more than at 8 o'clock, I can assure you. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of a dark comedy mystery. It's, uh, it's PG-13. It's got a couple things in it. It's got a great cast, and uh, Amy and I watched it a couple of weeks ago. It's tons of fun. And the movie centers around uh, the death of Harlan Thromby. Uh, he is, in the movie, the best-selling mystery writer of all time. And therefore, he is, as you can imagine, very wealthy. And it is very clear that his uh, adult children and grandchildren have been uh, living off of and really taking advantage of Harlan's generosity and his wealth. Well, through a series of flashbacks, we see that as Harlan is approaching his 85th birthday, he has had enough of the mooching, right? He sees with clarity that he has, uh, in fact, done them a great disservice by footing all their bills. And uh, they have not become enterprising adults. They have become dysfunctional and self-interested leeches. And so out of a sense of responsibility to them and tough love for them, Harlan tells them one by one he's cutting them off. He's cutting them off. <clears throat> well, on the morning after his 85th birthday, at which the family is all present, Harlan turns up dead. And it looks like, but it's not definitely, a suicide. And so there's this investigation, and that's kind of what the, what the movie is about. And at the reading of his will, as Harlan had promised each one of them, uh, none in the family gets a penny, and they freak out. They freak out. Uh, there is far more grief over the loss of their father's wealth than there is over the loss of their father. And uh, everything that they expected to inherit, uh, everything to which they thought that they were entitled by birthright, uh, the rich future that they had imagined for themselves has vanished. And what drives the movie's comedy uh, is their inane dysfunction as they react to this news. Now, somebody after the last service said, how could that even possibly be funny? Well, it is. But it was written and released before the pandemic, and we are clearly meant to laugh at this nutty, bratty, entitled family. But in prayer this week, and I have to tell you, I may be the only person that God has ever used the movie Knives Out for sanctification, but, um, but perhaps now for you too. But in prayer this week, for whatever reason, this kooky movie came rushing back to my mind. And I found myself not so much laughing at them, but identifying with them. Reflecting on this movie in the midst of the pandemic, I suddenly felt like an adult child who had expected to inherit a wealthy future but was suddenly faced with another much humbler future. 
And throughout the movie, the family goes to great lengths to demand that they receive what they thought they had coming to them. And the demands and the insistence, that's the very thing that keeps them from learning the lesson that their father was trying to teach them. And the lesson that they so obviously and hilariously need to learn. Now, please don't hear me minimizing uh, all of the real grief and suffering that the pandemic has brought to so many. I mean, so many have lost so much more than I have. But what I feel like I have lost mainly is what I thought I had coming to me. And in this prayer, I began to wonder how much I had felt entitled to the things of my wealthy Heavenly Father. Have, have I loved those things that I expected more than I love the Heavenly Father from whom I expected them? Have my emotions and my actions been more directed by what future imaginary and unearned things that I may have lost than by the love of the Father that I still very much have? And am I open to what the Father would teach me during this very difficult season. I say all of that by way of introduction to our passage from Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. And we're in our fifth of seven consecutive sermons on St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And there are a lot of things in this morning's passage uh, that Paul says we should or should not be doing. Right? Tell the truth, he says. Speak the truth. In your anger, do not sin. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth. Uh -oh. Let bitterness and wrath and anger be put away from you. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Now, if this list of moral points is taken apart from the rest of the letter and left on its own, it, it sounds a lot like the great apostle is just trying to get us to behave. It also sounds like I may not be doing so hot with this list. So this, of course, is what so many people believe Christianity to be. One of many spiritualities of self-help, self-control, good citizenship, maybe even keeping the people in line. And if it feels like that to you, let me remind you that this passage comes from the second half of a letter which was intended to be read in its entirety in one sitting. Paul has already reminded the Ephesian Christians whom he loves so dearly. He's already reminded them about the saving work of Jesus. He has predestined us. He has redeemed us by his blood, adopted us as his children, made us heirs of his kingdom, sealed us with his Holy Spirit. In Christ, he has given all people access to God and to God's grace. He has made us alive in the spirit. He has reconciled us to one another and united us as one body in Christ. We are saved by grace and not by works. Paul has already gushed over the grace of God. Just gushed. So in nearly all of St. Paul's letters, uh, this is the pattern, that Paul begins the letter. First comes the, his, what he tells us about the saving acts of Jesus, and then, second, 
he describes, not prescribes, but describes how that grace gets worked out in our lives. Right? That's, that's the section we're in now. How the grace gets worked out in our lives. And so before I get on to specifics, I, I want us to deal, I think, begin with the real heart of this selection. Paul's real burden for the Ephesian flock in this passage, and that's what comes to the end of the passage. I think you might have to actually turn your bulletin page a little bit, where he says, be imitators of God as his beloved children. Live in love in just the same way that Christ loved us when he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now this translation says, live in love, what we normally say is, Walk in love. Other translations say that. Walk in love as Christ loved us. We say that from the steps uh, every week, and I will in just a minute. So my mouth likes to say that a little better. I'm going to say walk in love. This is the passage we're talking about. Paul is most certainly not saying that we are to obey in order to get God's love. He's saying that we have already been lavished with God's love. I mean, with the price of his life, Jesus has loved us, he's called us his own, and blessed us immeasurably. And now, friends, we bear the family name, Christian, right? And to, uh, we are heirs of the kingdom of God. We are recipients, the riches of his glory. And so now it's our gracious privilege to shine that light of Christ to a lost and hurting world to invite others into the glories that we ourselves have received to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And one of the ways that we do that is by acting like Jesus. So the reason, really the only reason that I bring up this silly movie, Knives Out, is to illustrate that sometimes we forget how blessed we are fortunate, how loved, how covered with grace and given to things that we did not earn, we are. And at least for me, those forgetful times are usually the times that things just hadn't gone my way. Anybody else? Just, is that just me? Yeah. So what, we, what do we do? We stamp our foot, we throw a fit, because we can be spoiled by the goodness of God. Paul says, no, no, be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And friends, no matter the situation, that calling is never taken away from us because the grace of God is never taken from us. So Paul is reminding us again that Jesus' action to us and for us in his atoning death is the governing framework for how we live our lives. And so for whatever reason, in prayer this week, in the face of things that I just don't like, like the rising COVID numbers and having to wear a mask and make you wear a mask again and, and any number of things that are just life right now, I began to feel a little less like Jesus and a little more like Harlan Thrombey's petulant, entitled children. And it was a call to return once again a gracious thousandth second chance to walk in love as Christ loved us. And so we might ask then, well, okay, but how do we do that? 
How do we walk in love as Christ? So I think we could go back to the top of the passage and uh, begin there. It's not, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. Uh, We're going to hit them fairly quickly. But what I want you to notice is how every moral point that Paul calls us to is easily found in the life of Jesus. Okay, so it's not a checklist. It's being imitators of God. So for starters, let's speak the truth to our neighbors, he says, to family, to friends, to co-workers, to neighbors. Let's speak the truth. Let's not shade the truth to put ourselves in a better light. Let's not hide behind a a little white lie that we justify to ourselves. Uh, let's, Let's honor the fact that Christ has unified us and honor the people to whom he has unified us by telling the truth. And Jesus, of course, was always a truth teller. Right? He boldly and directly told the truth about the nature of God and about the lives of the people whom he encountered. Think about Jesus with Nicodemus. Think about Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Think about Jesus with Peter on the seashore after his resurrection. Think about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he's the embodiment of truth. Let us be truth tellers like Jesus. Second, let's think about how uh, we watch ourselves when we get angry. Now this is, this is a big one for me personally. Let's make sure that in that vulnerable emotional state that we do not sin, which is to say we do not tear others down, that we are not destructive, we don't say things that we don't mean or that we will regret later. Paul says our anger can be like an open door for the devil to come in and cause havoc in our relationships. We don't want to make room for the devil, Paul says, with our anger. In your anger, do not sin. And Jesus, Jesus, of course, definitely got angry. He called the hypocrites, or called the Pharisees hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. He got angry with them about that. He drove out the, the money changers with a whip of cords in the temple. Remember that? Uh, but he was never self-serving in his anger. Uh, he, uh, even in his anger, he sought only the glory of God. He was treated, uh, when he was treated most terribly, he pled, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So he told the truth. In his anger, he did not sin. Paul's third admonition is to let thieves have honest work. Now, uh, there's there's opportunities for that within the church or within ministries uh, in the church, but I think for us, uh, maybe The principle is instead of judgment to people who deserve it, let's offer redemption to people who need it. Instead of judgment to people who deserve it, let's offer redemption to people who need it. Let's give second chances as individuals, as a church. And this has Jesus all over it, right? I mean, Jesus brought tax collectors into his inner circle. Uh, He gave dignity to the undignified over and over and over again told the truth in his anger he did not sin he was a a redeemer and the last one we'll cover uh, is where Paul tells us let no evil talk come out of your mouths but only what is useful for building others up 
rather than evil, uh, the word evil, some translations use the word uh, corrupt or um, unwholesome. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Uh, or as my mama used to say, uh, watch your mouth. <laughs> um, he's not just talking about what we would call bad language, uh, but about words that cut, words that hurt, like how we speak to those that uh, we have a little power over, like our children or our, our employees, how we speak about others who can't hear us while we're speaking about them. The Apostle James writes, If anyone considers himself religious and yet cannot keep a tight rein on his tongue, his religion is worthless and he is deceiving himself. Our words matter. And I need to hear that again and again. Our words can build up and inspire, but they can also burn bridges and do damage for decades. Our words are where we often need forgiveness. But Jesus' words edify, right? That he said uh, in our passage today, uh, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He said uh, elsewhere, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, His words healed, he forgave, he blessed. Such that his disciples one time said, where else are we going to go, Jesus? You have the words of life. That's what he was known for. You have the words of life. As Christians, our words matter. And I think you get the gist. Right? Paul's not giving us a checklist. He's describing the character of Jesus. And so we go through this passage or any other passage uh, that calls us to act in a certain way. We find the character of Christ. We look at our own character and see where it's lacking. We walk in love as Christ loved us. It's easy, I think, to forget the gracious blessings of God. uh, To expect, um, to, to come to expect God's blessing and forget to be grateful. To forget to trust that uh, even when things don't go the way we want, when we seem to have lost something that we thought was coming to us, to to forget that God is in control. So if you feel a little less like Jesus and a little more like Harlan Thrombey's entitled brat adult children, the answer is not to focus on your behavior. The answer is to focus on Jesus and his behavior to you. The answer is not to focus on your behavior, but to focus on Jesus and his behavior to you. And then imitate God. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.